Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, welcome in. I'm Sean Salisbury. This is the Sean Salisbury Show on the Believe Networks. It's grateful to be a part of a phenomenal network with an incredible, incredible talent pool. And I just happen to be one on the food chain. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. I know you're heading into your holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And I'll start this simply by saying, don't forget why you get to go have a steak and a cold beer. For anybody, whether you have military family or not, there's a reason why you get to do this. And we're all going to lose sight of that fact over the weekend, but at least try to keep it in the forefront of your mind because somebody's going to be without their military family or has lost a military man or woman um, throughout that. So happy Memorial Day. I always feel weird saying happy Memorial Day because while we're happy celebrating and honoring our fallen soldiers and our current military men and women, um, for some, that'll never be a happy day and the memories will be harsh. But for those of us who are grateful to what they provide, thank you. All right, guys, let me, let me just give you a little, a little uh, teaser of what you're about to hear today. Contracts and quarterbacks. First off, Kyler Murray will be the focus on one. $280 million speculated. That's what he's going to get now, give or take a couple million. We'll hit that. And I'm a Kyler Murray fan, but my stance is going to be different on this. And then we get to George Kittle. When do we decide and why or why do we have it pigeonholed? So if we're going by salary, who the most important players to a team are, while everybody's important. So George Kittle kind of falls into the middle of the road, not George Kittle, but Travis Kelsey, Kittle talking about Kelsey, the tight end position, basically, is what I'm saying. Our tight ends really aren't tight ends anymore. We're going to talk about that. And I love what Kittle said about Kelsey being underpaid. Kelsey's response to that, but why? Why is Kelsey underpaid? Um, but his approach to why everybody, when you're looking at how to run routes and be a closer on the football field, the, the tight end in Kansas City, I use tight end loosely because that's really not what he is. And I'll tell you who I think and why. They're the best at that position and uh, where that position's headed and why we need. You can never have enough of those guys. And then beating tight ends slash wide receivers, or they're, they're becoming Swiss Army guys too, not just Debo Samuel, who's a wide receiver, running back, defensive back, Gatorade guy, all of it. And then we're going to hit OTAs, voluntary OTAs. I'm old school in some ways, but I'm new school in a lot of ways as well. I, I think it's a happy mix. There's, just ask me. I'll tell you, it's a really good mix of why you can think old school with the OTAs, no matter the status of the player on the team and no matter the status of the team and why you should think on being as opposed to not being there. We start with Kyler Murray. When Kyler Murray was at Oklahoma and at, let me backtrack at Texas A&M. I watched him play high school and at Allen high school, the guy never lost. Phenomenal, phenomenal. I don't need to give a history, but the guy didn't lose. The guy was, a matter of fact, one of the best Texas high school football players of all time. And my buddy, Billy Bean, who was a crosstown rival of mine and 
baseball, basketball, and football, we played against each other in San Diego. And Billy's one of my dear friends. And we always, we, we competed in it. And he was, Billy liked multiple sport athletes. I know that because Billy played it. And he was miserable to have to face when you were in high school when he was a hitter. He hit like 570 or whatever it was in high school. And there's a pitcher. And, uh, and obviously, you know how the pro career went. He was a general manager for the A's. But, you know, Billy being drafted, Kyler Murray, because Billy growing up, he and I used to talk about him and I in multiple sports. And Tony Gwynn, who was a point guard on San Diego State, who could play, been a pro in other sports. One of these days, we'll get Billy on here because I'm a diehard baseball fan. And we'll talk that and have him as a guest and his approach to baseball. But to, to, you know, Kyler Murray, a great athlete and a ch- chance to be a five-tool guy, power, can run, throw, all those things as a baseball player. And when he was at Texas A&M, when he came out of high school, I used to train another quarterback side-by-side on the same field in Plano that his dad would train him football-wise. And he'd look over there and say, man, this little guy, but man, what a good, early in his career. And then he grew up high school, and this little guy turned into the best high school quarterback, at least one of the best in the country, and was a constant winner at Texas, Tech, uh, Texas, uh, uh, Texas High School, Allen High School in Texas. And with all the people recruiting him, but at that point in time, I thought, man, five-tool baseball player, go play center field in Major League Baseball, right? Even that time, because we all get caught up into the measurables of a quarterback, which I think the combine camp to me is the most overrated week of the football year. I know we got to get measurables on, on speed and size. You can do that at Pro Day. You can do that when you go visit the guys. I, I'm not a big combine guy. Participated in one. I wish we could have a combine where guys actually ran routes and shoulder pads and helmets and quarterbacks through, but that's not the reality. We are with a collective bargain agreement doing less and getting paid more, which is cool. I want everybody to get paid more all the time. We all do. I'm, I'm a guy who likes people to have success. I root for success and people to get paid so the next guy can get paid. But I'm not, I think the combine is overrated. I do. I don't give a damn if a guy can throw a curl route with shorts and a T-shirt on it and never have cared. I don't care if you can run a 12-yard curl in shorts and a T-shirt. Can you, when a guy's mauling you and choking you out around the throat, can you get off press coverage and get to your dig route and separate? If you're a DB, well, I understand the, you know, the jumping and that and speed and getting out of your turn, all those things matter. And you can see at the combine, can you do it in gear? All, all the things that we know, and I think most NFL people who judge these know, but we are going to get combine freaks who always separate themselves between January and April, yet didn't separate themselves in a uniform. Like this year, we're going to find out if Walker, the first pick of the draft, can turn his combine freak show and off-season workout into more production instead of potential like he was. He wasn't the best player at Georgia. He just wasn't on defense. They had a lot of great ones. He was one of the guys. Was, but you work him out, and you're like, oh, he can be the best player. So we're drafting on potential instead of production because he's about a five-and-a-half, six-sack guy, six guy. If it works out, you're going to get a freak in the NFL. So with Kyler Murray can do all these things. So I don't get caught up in the measurables. Used to like, well, I was a 6'5", 230 pound quarterback. So naturally, like you need a guy who can stand in that pocket and deliver it. You still do and can separate a little bit, but now it's separate a lot, get out on the edge and throw the ball for the pocket and do it all. So I'd watch him work out as he went up the progressive part of it and got to the got to college. I always wondered what kind of pocket guy he'd be. And he wasn't real good at Texas A&M. He, he was. He got beat out. Kyle Allen, both of them transferred. One's a drop back. One's a dual threat. Just didn't work out. And so Kyler left and obviously goes to Oklahoma. I don't need to give you a history lesson on him. And then got with Lincoln Riley and boom, lights out. My thing is I changed on him. And even into his last year, I was going into his final year, fourth, fifth round pick, 
going to choose baseball, first-round pick by Billy Bean in Oakland. And in two or three years, he's going to be the starting center fielder, and you got yourself a ball player. And his career will last longer because if people are going by measurables, you got a guy who's lights out talent, could run, do it all, right? Such respect for his skill set. And then I said, you know, I'm not going to be that guy. And I'm a big tape studier. And I'm not a judger of a guy the way some other guy that may go on TV or write an article on or other. I don't care their feeling. I'm an avid book reader. When my new shelves are in, you'll see all the books. I'm an avid book reader of autobiographies, uh, self-help, motivational, James Patterson, Patricia Cornwell, John Grisham. You can go Carlin Coben, Stuart Woods, all those. So I read about a book or two a week, hardback books. And so... I judge the book if somebody says that book sucked, but I thought, okay, I'm going to try it out. And if the first hundred pages don't grip me, then okay. But I'm never going to let anybody tell me about Kyler Murray that, well, he can't do this, can't do this. If I didn't, if I got into the same old crappy talk that everybody, and I shouldn't put an umbrella statement, blanket statement that a lot of people get into, if somebody says that it must be true, that's not me. And I, 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 with him, I started to get caught up in the measurables. He's a baseball guy, even though he was going on through that year to win the Heisman Trophy and be a phenomenal football player. I said, yeah, he's in the Big 12. They don't defend. I got caught up in that for, for part of the season. As the season started to go on, I watched Josh Rosen, who was a Pac-12 guy like me, and I had been out to UCLA and, and with, with my guy in the past on other quarterbacks who was a coordinator at the time there. And then I followed his story, and I thought, okay. I started studying Rosen at UCLA before he came out in the draft. And there was a few things I liked, but there was a couple things that bothered me about Josh Rosen. Not, not anything. I, I didn't know him as a person, but as a player, I said, you know what? There's a few things I don't like about his game. But they drafted him. Arizona did. And Kyler's playing. And I, so I went back at the end of the year, that year before the, the draft that Kyler Murray was in. And I said, I'm going to go back and watch five games, any five games. And then I'm going to watch, you know, postseason and I'm going to make my job. I'm going to go back hard and look at him a couple times over and, and say, am I, am I not giving this guy a fair shake? And I did. And I wasn't giving him a fair shake. I watched and I watched and I watched. And I said, explosive arm, phenomenal feet. Yes, size, but you throw through lanes. We've seen the Drew Breeses and guys do it in the past. Fran Tarkenton. You buy space, throw on time. The ball came out on time. He was, he was accurate now. There were times when he might have bailed too early because guys' biggest strength, their, their, their biggest strength, we all lean on. If you're a driver of the golf ball, you go to the driving range, what do you do? If you can hit the ball a country mile, you'll, you'll fiddle around with a way. You don't stand on the green and putt for an hour and a half. You go grab your driver after about 10 warm-up swings and start pounding the back of the range, right? Don't work on the things you're not good at. And, you know, Tyler, to Tyler, Kyler, when he got into a position, like a lot of young quarterbacks do, you start to use your bailout expertise, meaning first guy's not there, let me run around and then make a spectacular play. Normal. There's nothing wrong with it. So I started to try to see the forest through the trees with him. And by the end of that tape study, and in January and late December, I'd go on all these shows across the country. And in Arizona, I'd go on, I still do them for a dozen years weekly. And I said, they got to get rid of Josh Rosen and the Cliff Kingsbury talk. I said, and you've got to draft Kyler Murray. He's the best football player they could draft. And they said, what? I said, I'm just telling you, with all this, should we quit on Josh Rosen this soon? And I, I felt bad for Rosen, but I, I, and we hadn't seen enough of him in Arizona to know if he was going to be good, but I knew Kyler Murray was a better player. I just did. 
And I hope Rosen, you know, relands and gets his career going. I do. But when Cliff was coming in and that, that it was a match made to have, you had to do it after one year. It sucks. And you can't parlay out after one year, a guy's good or bad part of his career. It sucked for Josh Rosen, but you got to do what's best for your team. And Steve Wilkes, and who I thought was a good coach, and Steve still is, but what they were trying to do in, in, in the front office, Steve Kime, is you had to do this. And I was, I sold Kyle, I sold him to everybody. I said, he's the best. You have to draft him. I believed he was a franchise changer. I still do. So all that taking place. And then we saw traded and Kyler comes in as first pick of the draft. And we've seen MVP flashes. So the point of this whole con, screw the measurables. I could care less if he's five, nine or six, four. I've seen plenty of six, four stiffs that can't drop it in the ocean if they're standing on a beach. I've also seen plenty of five, 10, five, 11 guys that people say can't play and they beat your ass on a continuous basis. And you say, wow, I thought you had to be six, three to do this. Not true. And if we don't get over the measurables and start seeing players for how good they are against competition, then you as a scout or a general manager, or coach or doing your team, the player, a disservice. And quite frankly, I can't call you an expert or call you a guy that knows his profession if you're simply looking at the measurables. Now, if a guy at corner runs a five-flat corner, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out you can't draft a five-flat corner. Okay, But at quarterback at certain positions, please don't come at me. Well, he's a little too small for what we do. That coach will be fired and out of a job in three years, and then I'll say you're a little bit too dumb for what they do. So that being said, is it we're now at the stage, it's moving time for Kyler Murray, like Saturday moving day at Augusta. So through all this, and I've been, and I, Murray, because he shows you flashes of MVP stuff. I need more consistency out of it. Now with the talk of 280 million, we saw what Watson got. We know what Josh did, how good Josh Allen is. We know Rogers contract. Brady should be making like 70 million a year with his production. And we start to go, we know that Dak Prescott got his, that. Lamar's trying to get his. We see receivers getting theirs. And so I say, okay, we base on potential. The key is if you're going to get rid of somebody and not pay them, then you better have a great replacement. Cleveland, getting rid of Baker Mayfield, they got a great replacement. They got a better player. Forget all the you, – you decide your moral compass if you like off-the-field stuff. On-the-field stuff, Deshaun Watson's a better player than Baker Mayfield. That I can guarantee. Doesn't mean Mayfield can't be good. Watson's just better. So they upgraded and they made us move and gave up a lot of assets and did it. So in Arizona, you've been good. You haven't been good in January. And Kyler Murray basically urinated down his leg in these last playoffs. I didn't like the way he handled the postgame. Now, there's a lot of people who think he's um, a brooder, that he's separated from his team. All those things that you're going to hear from both. When a guy's not going good, ah, it doesn't work. Remember Eli? Well, he's a shoulder shrug and he doesn't care. Don't mistake that Eli was competitive. It gets, and after somebody said leadership, he went out and won two Super Bowls with some help from his friends. So I don't know what you believe about Kyler Murray, if he's a malcontent, if he has to do things his way, everybody else is wearing a, a, a gray sweatshirt and he's got to wear a blue one. I don't know if that's true. You hear, I've heard both sides. Some love him and some, if you don't, you're probably going to have it. I, I don't, I'll, once again, back to my books, I don't judge it by that. I'll judge by what I see. And the consistency, good or bad, and then I'll make judgment not only on the performance, but can he lead a team? Can he maximize a building? The question for Kyler Murray for me is in question after my belief is saying they go number. I would have still, if I was Arizona, if we go back, I'd have said, yes, I'd take it number one because I still think he can be a monster in this league and an MVP. I do. 
but he's going to have to make some sh- a paradigm shift soon. One is the you better be able to maximize the fellows, even if they don't. When things aren't going well, you've got to elevate guys around you, even if your game is not elevated. He didn't in the playoffs. It was poor, awful. He's got to do a better job of this late in the season. And because there's times when he goes on a five, you're like, this is a you scrambling left, falling out of bounds, hitting DeAndre Hopkins on a Hail Mary for a touchdown. The guy's got a special skill set to consistency of it. So maximizing the building is still the question. Can he do it? Does he bring out the best in, in everybody? I think there's still questions about it. And when things aren't going good, what does he do on the sidelines, in the huddle, on the field? I, like I said, I'm giving the benefit out. I've seen both. I've seen him rise and I've seen him disappear. He can't shrink in big moments. And he's got great football. His dad was a good quarterback. He's got DNA that says special. But you also got to know when to grab that DNA and it's got to exist. Unfortunately, at that position, whether you like it or not, the pressure that comes with it most of the time for the great ones, you can be that guy or a guy. And then in between, there's that kind of guy. Well, a guy is just one of the guys like me that played. Kind of guy is starts and is, gives me three games really good and then two games really bad. And then that guy is just a stud. Murray's got that guy in him, but I can't pay him $280 million. I know that's, that's been a number of, of when you figure out the how salaries have moved and like a pro football focus, how they study everything and salaries and the progression of it. Put it this way. He's not a going in. I would have said top 10 going into the season. I got him in the top 10 right now. You can't put him ahead of Lamar Jackson. I'm not talking about on town. I'm talking about on production. Lamar, when Lamar's right, Prescott, Rogers, Wilson, Brady, Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Herbert. Right now, they're all better. So if we are actually going to say that he's worth $280 million and $47, $46.5 million a year today, I, am, I, I will pound the table for Murray. I want him. If you were saying well, we're not going to sign him up or they would have traded him, I said, you damn well have better got something really good for him because I think he's going to be a player. But today, as we sit on the front office, I can't, I can't pander all the time just because a player says what he wants. I can't do it. I've got, I, I got franchise tags to use. I still got an opportunity for him to play through this before the franchise tag can kick in. Those rules, we, we like, we say, well, that's how, like in name, image, and likeness, the rules are set up for Texas A&M that they can go get the number one recruiting class or for Alabama or Southern Cal to pay endorsements and name, image, and likeness and spend all the money they want. That's the rules. We don't have a salary cap. So take advantage of the rules. Whether you like them or not, those are the rules. Same thing with this. I love, I, listen, I'm not pandering. I don't always have to keep every single player or my superstars happy if it doesn't fit with what I'm doing. To me, Kyler Murray needs another good year for me to validate paying him $280 million. He just does at 47 a year. I know that the best player always isn't the highest paid player. But when you start to go through it, he's not jumping six, seven guys to get into there. He's jumping damn near all of them to be in the one or two or three hole. He has not consistently played like that to deserve it. Now, we say what's deserve. You you get what you can negotiate. You, You deserve what you negotiate, right? So he will deserve it, but he will be overpaid unless he comes back and validates by running him deep into the playoffs in a very difficult NFC West with the 49ers and Rams, kicking ass and going and being the MVP and taking that jump like Lamar did to be the MVP, like Herbert's done the last couple of years. Like we, we saw Deshaun leading the league, even though they're four and 12, part of it's winning, but that's unfair in 11 on 11. Everybody's got to help, but that is the quarterback's job to maximize. So to me today, 
if I was a general manager, head coach, and I was making decisions, I said, dude, here's the choice. We, we, we got to see, you want that kind of money, fine. You want lesser money, you want it in the, in the high 30s range, then, then we'll do that. But if you're talking about that, then you're going to have to come back and prove it. That's where I'd stand. And I am a Kyler Murray believer. But 280, he's not 47 million worth right now. I don't care what the market bears. The market doesn't bear that for the ninth or 10th or 12th best quarterback in the league today with the ability to be the fifth best quarterback in the league at some point or, or higher. I got to see another year. All right, salaries to, to Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and talking, and they do the, the tight end, you know, where they're all out there working out and Kittle saying that Kelsey, for what he is, he can't believe how underpaid he is. And Kelsey responded, listen, at this stage of my career, it's about legacy and get better winning championships. It's not about the money. Now everybody wants money. And I believe when Kelsey says that, he's brash, he's awesome, he's energetic. And so it kind of ties into the pecking order of salaries. We got receivers making 30 million a year. And I talked to Steve Palazzolo, who's the, you know, the, the, an analyst and one of the experienced and lead analysts for Pro Football Focus. And last year I asked him, I said, okay, outside from quarterback, which we know, give me the pecking order of needs in this era on a football team. And Steve said, Sean, it's wide receiver next, which four or five years ago we would have said, no, it's seven years ago. No, it's left tackle, edge rusher, disruptor in the middle, and receiver would have fallen in fifth, a, a, a lockdown corner, the most overused phrase on the planet. But now it's shifted. $30 million a year receivers. Now, I know it goes up at every position, but, man, they have, they have gone haywire wide receiver, and m- most of our highest-paid receivers weren't first-round draft picks. And I'm okay. I'm, I'm good with it, which leads me to Kelsey. He's highly underpaid. Kelsey's not a tight end. Tight ends now this day, you not put your hand in the dirt, get on the edge and, and turn the outside leverage guy who's trying to keep his outside arm free, <clears throat> excuse me, to turn things back inside, which he can do. Being a great receiver helps him to be a better blocker because they're so concerned about him getting off the ball. He can get a little leverage on him and, and, and spring him. But we know what Kelsey's job is. Wide out, motion run option routes, do all the little things and do it with run after the catch. He is a phenomenal player. I love him. And he's highly underpaid. I love the fact that he says about legacy and winning championships fine, but there comes a point in time we say he's not a tight end. We, we've argued this over the years about you're going to pay me like a tight end, you're going to pay me like a wide receiver, whether it was Bronk or anybody else, and Antonio Gates back in the day. when They're, they're running slant routes from the outside. These guys are receivers who ha- it's like with name, image, and likeness. Now, such so student athlete, it's an athlete who happens to go to class if he wants to and wants to stay eligible or wants to be a great student. It's athlete student now. They're pros. Here, it's wide receiver slash tight end. It's not the other way around. The Wallers now. You're going to see Pitts. What's he going to be worth if this keeps up and he gets a quarterback that can throw in the ball on a ba- uh, consistent basis in three or four years? <clears throat> you ain't paying his damn ass as a tight end. Can't do it to Kelsey either. And Kittle's right now. If you say, Sean, you got one tight end that's got to do it all, I'm taking Kittle. He monster blocker, great leader, can catch the ball, knows his role, and he's just in an offense that runs the football first, mix in the pass second, and he can still dominate a game. But he dominates a game in the blocking game too. Now, if you're just saying line up and give me a tight end that's in this era, what we want, we got Wallers and Kelsey. We got some good ones. It's the Gronkowski pits, this dude, Kelsey, because he's as good. He understands 
where he wants to go and with the football on his routes and where it's coming and timing as good as a quarterback does. And he is just a, he's the greatest lean on crutch in the league right now. There's maybe better players that are faster. When I say that is when Mahomes knows he has to get something done, that's his crutches on a, on a, on a sprained ankle, throw it to Kelsey. He is going to win. Quick story. When I was a rookie in the league, Steve Largent was our wide receiver. And at that time, that year, he went on to be the all-time leading receiver in the NFL in Seattle. We had a play called 70Y option, spread right 70Y option. I remember it as, a, as pure as, as, as like it happened today. And 70Y option, Largent was the Y, the slot. He, and Steve was the best, still to this day, the best route runner I've ever seen covering it or playing it, about 5'10". 70Y option was a four-way break. You push up the six yards and sit first zone. Inside press man, run away at six yards. Outside lean, lean, run away inside to uh, against outside leverage man. And then if you had press zero coverage, boom, quick fade, and you'd get it to him. Great red zone, quick fade, and Steve would take it for a touchdown. And I think that year we led the league in, in, in third and six defense, the third and six or less, because my rookie year we got there and David Craig was a quarterback, and I asked him, I said, what do we do on 70Y option at our first minicamp? And he said, throw it to 80. 80 was Steve Largent. I said, what's the read? Because I was a student. I wanted to know as a rookie, give me a chance to make team. I wanted to get ahead of it. I said, throw it to 80. I went to our quarterback coach in the same minicamps. He said, throw it to 80. I'm telling you, it's like it was scripted, right? Offensive coordinator. I went to Steve. I said, Steve, what's our offense coordinator? He goes, throw it to 80. So finally, I throw my hands up there. I said, okay, we go away after minicamp, come back from training camp. I mean, to start training camp. So I go and I'll say, okay, guys, we're in our quarterback. Okay, now what's the read on 70Y option? Two by two, 70Y option, throw it to 80. I'm, I'm like, come on. And you know what we did? <laughs> that was a read. Unless he fell down, you threw it to 80 because he won. He didn't matter. He knew how to read zone and press the outside uh, shoulder of the, press the inside shoulder of the outside leverage corner and sit for zone. Lean on, you run away. Lean on, you run away inside. Press fade. You couldn't get your hands on him. You go score. He was so knowledgeable about the passing. That's Kelsey. He was Steve Largent was our crutch and David Craig's crutch, and they were so good together. I learned a lot my rookie year and watch it. Kelsey's the best crutch in the league because he always knows. You go back to that Buffalo Bills playoff game. Was it Buffalo or was it the week before Buffalo? Yeah, where he said it was Buffalo, where he said to after the one, you heard the sound to come back. He said, hey, listen, man. They're going to do that again, and when they do, I'm just going to come off the ball, basically how I described it. And Mahomes, they did it again. It was just a simple seam route that came off. They, the, the linebacker or the nickel didn't get enough depth in the route. Mahomes hit him with that little sidearm pitch in the slot, went up there, got the first down, which led to the next play when they were able to get down and kick it and win, right? Great anticipation. He's underpaid. So when do we get to a point where we say, well, Kelsey should be paid more than the highest left tackle in the league? Or the left tackle, if he's better there. Uh, why is the edge rusher paid more than Kelsey? Well, why isn't Kelsey paid as much as Tyreek Hill or, or as much as Devontae Adams? Same impact. In time, same catches. I'm not saying that, Dev- hell, give me Kelsey, Devontae, uh, Chase, and, uh, and Cooper Cup. I got three wides and a tight end. I don't care who you put in the backfield. I'll take Derrick Henry if you want him to me. And we'll win a lot of games or, or Jonathan Taylor. But Kittle's right, Kelsey's right, but at some point in time, you got to look and say, aside from Mahomes, and I know this is going to hurt somebody, Kelsey should be the highest paid, and he may very well be now. I, I haven't looked at the rest of the stars. 
it's a no-brainer. Every time some home salary, Kelsey should jump. He's the best crutch in the league and deserves far more money. Pay them all if they're worthy of it, which leads me to my final subject of the day. OTAs, voluntary OTAs. I told you at the top of this, I got some old school feelings, but I'm a lot of, I like new school. I hate like certain rules. We just change rules to change them, right? Like in baseball, who the hell puts a guy on second? I'm a diehard baseball fan. Fenway Park, go Sox. Any extra innings and sticks a guy on second base in the 10th inning, an unearned run to put more pressure on a pitcher. We're lucky the balls are dead for pitchers this year. Not their balls, <laughs> the baseballs that the ball stayed in the park more, unless you're Aaron Judge, you hit it 480, and it, now it's going 430. Or one of those power, you know, big, big, strong hitters that can crush it, Stanton and Judge and Trout. But I hate the rule. So that's not get off my lawn guy. The rule sucks, and anybody that thinks in baseball, purist or not, that we should put a runner in extra innings, they make 20, 30, 15, $10 million a year. I don't give a damn if they got to play 18 innings. Play it. Save it. So I like new school. The, the, the new schools, the clothes and attitude, but I like there's some old school rules and old school thoughts that I have that I think will hold true throughout the test of time, like showing up on time. That's not get off my lawn. People just show up late. Screw you. If I'm a coach, show up on time. If I'm a business owner, show up on time because it tells me you care about your job, right? So I believe in certain things. I like change if it's necessary, if it makes people around us and everything better. I'm just going to say this loud and clear. Unless you're Getting pre- you're pregnant with your wife's pregnant. You're you've scheduled a two years out trip to go on a a late honeymoon that you didn't get to go on for two weeks, and it falls on voluntary OTAs. Or you're hurt, you're rehabbing, or your one of your parents you haven't seen you had it scheduled. They're not feeling well, or a family member's ill, or you are. Stay home. If you're able-bodied, ready to go. I don't care if you make $30 million a year or $3 million a year or you're a rookie, a second-year guy, or the middle-class guy because it amazingly speaks to that guy. If a younger guy shows up to voluntary minicamp and I get my eyes on him as a coach, even though I'm not going to tell him this because the collective bargaining agreement tells me I can't force these guys here, but coaches all want them there, all of them. Second-year guy shows up, eyes, middle-class guy making $3 million a year, backup linebacker starts sometimes. He's a starter, runs down on special teams and decides I'm healthy. I just don't want to show up, man. I'm going to play golf with my buddies, which you could do after practice at OTAs with all your fellas. I loved going to them to many camps because you got to be with the fellas you hadn't seen in a while, a little reunion, go play golf after practice, learn some football. It's what you do anyway. It's our job. So if you're that middle-class guy and I'm the head coach or the coordinator and a receiver that's a third-year guy decides not to show up or fourth-year guy making four million, a rookie shows up and He's opened my eyes and shorts and a t-shirt and, and, and running routes. I'm like, ooh, when he comes back to the next OTA or camp, I got to keep an eye on him. It's, it's human nature, out of sight, out of mind. Now, I understand if you're Mahomes or Allen, you don't have to show up. But even those guys, or if you're Kelsey, you don't have to show up, volunteer if you got something. But if you're able-bodied and you're sitting in your house in Pittsburgh and your team's in Miami, why the hell wouldn't you go, especially with a new coach? And this isn't for anybody specific. It's just for anybody who's not going. Why wouldn't you go for three days, even if you're not going to compete and run routes or catch balls or throw balls or, or get your cake tosses in the backfield or, or, or cover somebody? Just be present. Three days in Miami, three days in Pittsburgh. Coaches see you. Young player sees that you're there. You set an example. It's three days out of a year. Then the next voluntary. You're learning. You're hearing. You can be a good example for the guy. You don't have to run around and destroy yourself or throw the ball because your arm's tired. 
the superstars, even if they show up, let the young guy get some work and you can talk him through it. Be a present in the meetings. Stay for part of the time. Just show up. So when it comes to this, I am old school on this. Voluntary always meant mandatory to me. And it meant mandatory because when a coach said, yeah, it's voluntary, but man, we'd love to have you. Basically saying, if you're not there, you're behind. Don't care if you're... Now, if you're a middle-class guy and you've been in the league five years and you make a lot of money and the second year guys or the rookies as good as you and you don't show up to these, all you're doing is cutting off your knees, your legs at the knees now. You're giving them a reason to say, even though it's not mandatory, he got more work, got a leg up. When he broke the huddle in fall camp after two days, and we were in two days, third day of practice, you made two mental errors because you couldn't get it out of the huddle because you couldn't remember that formation. And he was there. Now, do I believe if you miss a practice in February, in March or April, that in November, that's the reason you threw an interception because you played around a golf? Absolutely not. People are absurd when they say that crap. But do I believe you can help yourself more, maybe than even hurt yourself by being there? I'm a big believer voluntary means mandatory. And if you're able-bodied and nobody's hurt, you're not anywhere, and you can get there, even if you're not going to work when you're there, the number one to 53 should be at, at, uh, voluntary. The only reason it's called voluntary is because in the NFL now we work more, we work less and make more. And that's okay. Save your legs. Training camps are shorter. It's your career. I would think you just even want to be present for the meetings and for the young players. So I'm just telling you, somebody in fall camp is going to get cut who's a middle-class player, meaning earns good money, isn't a superstar, but starts for me, that a young guy is going to be at all of these, a second-year guy who's not a rookie, and he's going to learn, it's, and a light switch is going to go on, and he's going to make a few more plays. And even though they're never going to admit it, the coaching office behind closed doors where people don't talk, I'm just telling you where, they, where it's just them talking, they're going to say he made more plays, and you know what? He was at, at, at every off-season OTA. Now, maybe they're not supposed to make that judgment, but they do. It's human nature. When you're in front of me, I get to judge you better. When you're away from me, I don't. Voluntary, mandatory. Voluntary OTAs mean get your butt there unless you can't for one reason or another. Because if you don't, you're leaving your glove on the mound for somebody else to come and take it. And there's a reason why many camps I used to go to OTAs, a lot of times superstars do show up in some places. Why? Because that's what got them to be a superstar. They did everything extra. You're not winning championships in April and May, but you're building a culture that does. So you can concentrate on it, take care of it in September, October, November, December. Voluntary to me, when it comes to sports, voluntary always means mandatory. Don't leave your glove on the mound for somebody else to come out and pick it up. All right, guys, you can get all our stuff, the Believe Network. I'm so grateful to be a part of this on the Sean Salisbury Show. And it's going to be a phenomenal summer and a phenomenal fall. I appreciate you tuning in. You can uh, obviously go to Believe Network, YouTube channel, Believe Networks, and go on there, the Sean Salisbury Show. And for the audio, you can go to wherever you find your podcast and Spotify, iTunes, all that to hear this as well. Share it with your friends. This is a monster monster group of talent that I get to work alongside. I'm grateful to be a part of it. I hope you have a great Memorial Day weekend. Please keep the folks in uh, Uvalde, Texas in your thoughts. Um, not the political part of it. That's for everybody else to do on their time, but the, the, the humble and gracious and um, the word I'm looking for is reverent part that as they go through their suffer, allow them to mourn 
and then hopefully we can prevent this from happening again. And with our soldiers, I don't know what to say, but thanks. Our fallen soldiers, men and women, and for those who serve now that give us an opportunity to do what we do, to eat our food and have our celebrations over the weekend, I thank you. Have a happy Memorial Day. Appreciate your time. Believe Networks and believe it. You're going to get all the good stuff you need. I'm Sean Salisbury. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.